It's great to be with you all again. Uh, my name's Devon. I'm one of the pastors here at Cross Culture, and it's, it's my privilege to um, bring God's Word uh, to you all this morning. Um, today we are continuing our series in the book of Luke. Um, we've titled this series, Faith Under Pressure. Um, and over this series, you'll see that Jesus will face increasing opposition. Um, but last week, where we saw Jesus had very hard words um, to say about the urgency of repentance, um, today we'll see what Jesus would say to a sufferer in their suffering. Um, so let's pray as we begin. Um, Lord, would the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight? O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. I didn't um, grow up as a Christian, uh, but sometimes when I was young, my mum would drag me along to Mass. Um, and on a Sunday morning, it was the last place I wanted to be. Um, why? Because it was all about rules. Rules that told me how to live, rules that told me how to be a good person. Um, church, to me, felt like a place where I was informed of all the things that I couldn't do. That's every kid's dream, isn't it? Um, now, the last thing I wanted was more rules. I had rules at home. I had rules at school. That was the last thing I needed, rules, more rules. Um, I remember a chaplain who was visiting our school. He was um, trying to convince us of Christianity. Um, and he said that, no, Christianity's really, really easy. You just need to do three things. Three things. He said, one, you need to love God. Two, you need to love others. And the last thing he said, he said, do whatever you want. <laughs> and like, I know he was trying to make Christianity seem attractive, but did he mention there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament? that tell me how to love God and love others? Did he mention there are over 1,000 commands in the New Testament? So yes, sir, you are absolutely right. After keeping 1,000 commands that govern my, my actions, my words, my thoughts, then yeah, I have the freedom to do whatever I want. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds so easy. What liberation that after keeping 1,000 rules that affect every faculty of my being, then I can do whatever I want. No, we don't need to do that. Let's not try and jazz Christianity up for what it isn't. Our faith does have a lot of rules. The Bible does have a lot of commands that govern the way we live. And on the surface, that can sound a bit soul-crushing. So you see, this is the tension in this passage. Um, that as Jesus is confronted by this synagogue ruler, a, a prominent religious leader of their day, the question they debate is, what is the essence of true religion? What is the essence of true religion? Is the essence of religion about keeping rules and obeying the law? Or is it what Jesus says is True faith really about freedom. And if it is about freedom, how do we reconcile this with the fact the Bible does have so many rules and laws that govern our lives? 
Um, so here Jesus is um, teaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath, and, and as he's teaching, he, he sees a woman who's been hunched over for over 18 years. Um, if you've ever lived with chronic back pain before, you'll know how debilitating it can be. Um, the pain can be excruciating and unending. Remember, this is a time before physios and any pain relief. Verse 11 says, a spirit has oppressed this poor lady. She's unable to straighten herself. I don't think she's possessed by a demon, but clearly from this passage, we see she's being afflicted by Satan. Um, Perhaps something similar to the Apostle Paul, who was afflicted by Satan with a thorn in his flesh. Now, I want you to hear this. I, I don't think that this means every disability is caused by an evil spirit. That's not what it's saying. There are multiple causes of suffering, but it's clear in this passage that we see Satan constantly trying to oppress God's people. Um, During our recent trip uh, to India last month, um, we we visited lots of uh, a few villages where we actually saw people like this, people who were struggling with hunched backs and they couldn't look up at all. Um, And what was really sad that in these villages, as we visited, No one seemed to take any notice. And so these people would shuffle up and down the streets and no one even tried to help them once. Uh, Here it's the same. Uh, People with these disabilities were ignored and neglected by society. For 18 years, this woman's been ignored. But not by Jesus. But not by Jesus. Because as soon as Jesus sees this woman, he, he stops teaching. He, he calls her over. And then in verse 12, Jesus says to her some powerful and beautiful words. He, he says, woman, you are freed from your disability. Um, what's been an 18-year affliction is ended immediately. For the first time in 18 years, she can finally stand up straight. See, with with the coming of Jesus, the kingdom of God is plundering the house of Satan. Jesus said before that he would drive out demons by the finger of God, and that is evidence that God is here. It's unsurprising then that the first thing this woman does, verse 13, is to praise and glorify God. Because she knows that as Jesus is performing this healing, she is being touched She's being loved by God himself. But what this passage really shines a light on are the different responses to this healing and what it reveals about the essence of religion. First, we see that it exposes false religion. I mean, imagine witnessing this healing with your own eyes. Imagine seeing Jesus perform this miracle right in front of your face. Uh, I wonder what joy and and wonder would you feel to see a woman who's been crippled for 18 years being freed of her affliction. It's it's something you'd never forget for the rest of your life. But now I, I want you to look at this synagogue ruler. Remember, he's just witnessed Jesus heal this woman. He has seen the power of God plunder the house of Satan. So how does he respond in in verse 14? 
he's, he's in, indignant. He's, he's furious. Isn't that jarring? Imagine someone so angry at something so beautiful. But what's he angry about? He's not saying this is a, a fake healing. He's not saying there was anything dodgy about it. No, what he's really angry with is that it was done on the Sabbath. Uh, verse 14, he says, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath. Do you see what's happening? He's not disputing the healing. No, he's saying Jesus didn't follow the rules. Jesus didn't follow the rules. So what's going on here? I mean, I mean he's looking at Exodus 20 when, where God gives the law, the Ten Commandments, God institutes the Sabbath, and God says, remember the Sabbath. Work for six days, don't work on the seventh. So in this synagogue ruler's mind, by Jesus, by healing this woman, is working on the Sabbath when he's commanded not to. But, I mean, what is work, right? Who knows what is work? Well, the Jews, um, they, they developed additional laws called the Rabbinic Law um, that gave much more specific details of what's involved. And in the mind of this synagogue ruler, healing was work. And so in his mind, even though something beautiful has taken place, it is made ugly because it broke all the rules. And so to him, he thought, it's already been 18 years. What's wrong in waiting another day? Isn't that messed up thinking? But this is what happens when legalism and following rules lies at the heart of your religion. Here we see it stifles freedom and joy. But to this synagogue ruler, this is the essence of religion. It is legalism. It is simply following rules. Um, today we see uh, the rules regarding the Sabbath are even more comprehensive than they used to be. Um, some Jewish rabbis now say you can't even push elevator buttons in the Sabbath because then that would be considered work. Um, so there are now these things called uh, Shabbat or Sabbath elevators that stop on every floor so you don't have to work. Um, more recently, some rabbis are now saying it's prohibited at all to take an elevator on the Sabbath. So now on the Sabbath, many Jews will walk up and down the stairs to their apartment. Do you see, ironically, it's creating more work, isn't it? It's creating more work on the Sabbath. But do you see, if, if, if the essence of my religion is that I am saved and made right with God by following rules, then yes, I need to know every single rule for every single situation. If I break just one rule, well, then we're in trouble. Do you see how this approach is stripping away freedom and joy? It's the mark of false religion. Uh, but you know what? Um, legalism doesn't just exist back then. Um, it exists in churches too. Um, I wonder if you've ever done this before. Uh, maybe as we gather here on a Sunday, 
as, as people who've been saved by God, as people who've been adopted into his family, who are sharing fellowship now with brothers and sisters, have you ever just complained that you didn't like the music? Not, not, not today, though. Today was really good. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe as God's word was preached and applied in your heart language. Imagine the miracle of that. Could you not get the past the fact that, you know, something just went wrong with AV that day? It was hard to hear. Not today, though. Yeah. AV's been great. Thanks, thanks, Dan. Or maybe even as God blesses our church with children and new life, was it annoying to you that the service was noisy or that babies cried because that's what babies do, right? No, actually, children and babies crying is evidence that God is blessing our church. You see, actually, what we experience here every week together is a miracle. What we have here is a living testimony to the power of God, to the presence of God's kingdom. Yet sometimes all we can think about is how early it is, how long this service is going for. And yes, I'm totally guilty of this too. But, but, but do you see, as we think like this, we are expressing a heart of legalism. They can only think about rules and preferences and actually we miss the miracle of this moment. Uh, if you're new or um, exploring Christianity right now, um, this might be the impression that you get of religion. You might be thinking, Christianity is just another form of legalism. You might think that we're here just following more rules and more morals that will control our behaviour. Um, and as a kid that was sitting in church, that was dragged there by my mum, that is exactly what I thought too. Uh, but what we'll see, that this isn't the essence of true religion at all. Verse 15, as Jesus responds to this synagogue ruler, he calls him a hypocrite. Why? Because these rules make no sense. Their rules allow a person to untie a donkey and lead them to water on the Sabbath. So in their rules, if an animal could be freed for the sake of receiving water and preserving their life, why not a human being who's made in God's image? Jesus says, verse 16, if, if bound animals could be freed to preserve life, how much more a daughter of Abraham? How much more one of God's children should be released from their disability so that they can experience new life too? It's hypocrisy, says Jesus. No, Jesus says that healing and restoring life is the best thing that you could do on the Sabbath. Because where the synagogue leader had read Exodus 20, verses 8 to 10, he forgot to keep reading on to verse 11, which explains the reason for the rule, the reason for the Sabbath. So God says, don't work on the Sabbath, for in six days God made heaven and earth, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Why don't we work on the Sabbath? Because it's a day of rest. It's a day of enjoyment from our work. 
God created in six days. On the seventh, he, he enjoyed and he rested from the work of his creation. It is not a day for doing nothing. It's a day to reorient ourselves and to celebrate and enjoy the work of God. God says as well, Deuteronomy 5, Sabbath is a day to remember you were once slaves in Egypt, but now you've been freed and and redeemed by God. Sabbath is a day to enjoy and celebrate your freedom. So do you see, as, as Jesus is healing on the Sabbath here, it is orienting us away from our work. It is reorienting us to appreciate God's work of freedom. I mean, isn't this amazing? Isn't it amazing that God didn't make us just to work? And so He gives us this command as an invitation to lay down your work, to walk with God, enjoy fellowship with Him, to celebrate the freedom that Jesus has already won for us on the cross. No, in this way, Sabbath is to remind us of the goal of our lives. The goal of our lives is not simply to work. But the goal of our lives is that we were made to worship and enjoy God as people who have been freed by His love. So no, the the purpose of the law is not to just strangle the life out of you. The purpose of the law is to give you life. The Sabbath is there to restore and preserve your life and to reorient you to the giver of all life. And and what is true of the Sabbath is true of the whole law. We were saying before, the Old Testament has 613 commands. Uh, But just like the Sabbath, it was never about legalism. Deuteronomy 8, as, as Moses calls God's people to obey the law, he says the commands are given so that you may live, that you may multiply. The law is not here to make us miserable and to rob us of our joy. God's law is to enable us to flourish and experience true joy. I found what um, Tim Keller says what he says to be really helpful here. Um, This is what he says. He says, um, in our world today, um, we like to see uh, freedom as the complete absence of any rules or constraints. As the complete absence of rules and constraints. Uh, But think about a fish, he says. He says uh, a fish absorbs uh, oxygen from water and not air. And so a fish is only free if it's restricted to its conditions, to its water. If a fish is freed from the river and put onto land, guess what? It won't do too well. The fish is not more free, the the, the fish is less free. It's it's the same with our enjoyment of any game. Soccer, my favourite game. Soccer is only fun If everyone obeys the rules, not to use your hands, not to just tackle each other, kick the ball wherever you want, you you see, to throw out these rules completely destroys our enjoyment or appreciation of the sport altogether. And so this is the key. 
the key is that freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as much as it is the presence of the right restrictions that fit with the realities of our nature and our world. That's what God's law is about. That's what the Sabbath is about. It's the presence of the right restrictions that protect life and that enable life to flourish. Right before God even gives the law, right before God gives these Ten Commandments, what does He say? He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. So even here, the law is given in light of their freedom. So no, God's God's law was never to rob you of freedom. God's law was to point you to a person who fought for your freedom. And I hope you can see here that it's ultimately pointing us to the coming of Jesus who is willing to suffer on a cross to free us who are living in slavery. It's pointing us to a God who now invites us to lay down our work, to lay down our burdens before Him because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. That's the essence of true religion. Um, But this healing on on the Sabbath here is doing more than just giving freedom to this woman. It's doing more than just giving joy to this crowd who witnessed the healing that day. But no, I think this healing has something to say to all of us who are still suffering right now. And so Jesus will go on to say that this healing is also revealing something of the future. It's revealing the ultimate goal of our religion. Um, Right after this healing, I want you to look, what does Jesus say in verse 18? He says the word, therefore. Therefore. He's saying that the healing on the Sabbath is somehow connected. It's giving us an insight into what the kingdom of God will be like. And so Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed that then grew into an enormous tree. The kingdom of God is just a tiny piece of leaven in dough that that grows and and permeates through the dough until it's a leavened mass of over 20 kilos. Um, And so through these uh, two illustrations, Jesus is comparing what the kingdom of God looks like now to what it'll be in the future. Jesus is saying that this healing on the Sabbath is anticipating something even more spectacular to come. This healing is is a sign, just a sign of God's kingdom breaking into our world, which will one day permeate all of creation, which will one day touch every person. The Sabbath here isn't just pointing us to a day of rest now. The Sabbath is pointing us to a day of rest forever where God is going to restore peace and shalom to the whole of creation. Um, Because maybe right now you're you're struggling with a long-term illness or a condition. Uh, Maybe you know someone who's been struggling with a long-term illness, whether it's physical or mental, and whether for yourself or for them you've you've longed for healing and, and freedom for many years. Um, I was reading a a book recently um, about someone who 
struggled with uh, dealing with terminal cancer. Um, and one of the things that struck me is he, he described what it was like to look in the mirror and just how hard that was. Um, because of the chemotherapy and all the treatment, visibly he, he saw himself wasting away. Um, and as he looked in the mirror, he just wished that, part of him just wished he could turn back time and reverse the effects of his disease. And so each time he looks in the mirror, it's just a constant reminder of the cancer that has really affected his body. But miraculously, this person, he experienced healing. And miraculously, he's been cancer-free for many years now. But I love his perspective. Because as he writes, his hope is not in his cure. He, he expects that the cancer will eventually come back one day. No, his hope isn't in his current condition, but his hope is in his eternal rest. It's in his permanent healing where he says God tells us to fix our eyes on what we cannot see. He says it's not about what we see in the mirror today. It's about the hope of eternity that God has promised. Ultimately, that's what the Sabbath is about. It's about placing our hope in our permanent rest that everyone will experience. Um, through his complaints and anger, this synagogue ruler shows he has no idea who God is. That was, that was me. That was the kid dragged along to church all those years ago. I had no idea who God was. Maybe like some of you here today, you might think that all God wants is your blind obedience. It's all about rules. But that's clearly not the God we worship. I hope you can see here, we worship a God who is joyful and who works for our joy so we would enter and share into freedom with Him. Um, so as I finish today, I want us to just reflect on the state of our faith. I wonder, would you characterize your walk with God as joyful? Um, in verse 17, the people rejoice at all the glorious things done by Jesus. Is that how you describe your walk with God? Or maybe as you live, are things starting to feel a, a bit more like a chore? Um, I wonder if Christianity is something that feels like it's choking your joy rather than, than giving you joy. I wonder if you sometimes feel like you're, you're forcing yourself to do Christian things. Or maybe you find yourself complaining about things rather than celebrating all that God is doing. As you reflect on these questions, I, I wonder what would it reveal about the essence of your religion? So, so, so if you find yourself struggling for joy now, can I encourage you? I, I think like the crowd here, what we need to do is we need to open our eyes. Um, the synagogue ruler was blind in his self-righteousness and rule-keeping. He's unwilling to, to just shift from his traditions and his worldview. He, he wasn't willing to open his eyes to see what was happening right in front of him. 
But as the crowd looks, they see something different. As the crowd looks, they are witnessing a miracle. And I think that's what we need to do. I think we need to see the miracles that God is already doing in our midst. You know, as I reflect back, never in a million years did I think I'd go from being the kid who hated church into being a pastor of a church now. It's just like the weirdest thing for me. (laughs) I still can't get over it. And actually, I, I, I mustn't forget that. I cannot lose sight of the freedom and transformation that Jesus has brought to my life through the gospel. And that's the same for everyone who believes in Jesus. I want you to reflect back on what life was like before Jesus, what life is like now. There is no such thing as a boring testimony. No, each of you are a testament to the miracle of God who's freed you and transformed you in Christ by His grace. Isn't it amazing that God would create us to enjoy Him forever? Isn't it amazing the goal of our lives is to enter into His rest where all the back pain, where all the illnesses and the conditions that plague us will be gone forever. Sometimes it's just about we need to open our eyes. And if we do that, maybe it would be harder to complain and and criticize. And so I think Jesus calls us here to find joy in things the world will consider insignificant. Um, Like a woman called and healed by Jesus like a sinner who repents, or like broken people like you and me who will one day enter his rest. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gift of life and freedom. Lord, please turn our hearts away from legalism and rule-keeping. Help us to experience again the freedom and joy that comes from being saved and transformed by your love. Lord, help us to never forget where we've come from, where we're going, so that though our outer selves might waste away, our inner selves are being renewed each day. In Jesus' name, amen.